look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. This is the place where I talk to people in and out of football and try to give you a deeper understanding, mostly of football, but also of sports. So, this week, we've got a very interesting podcast. We've got Rich Eisen of NFL Network. I stopped by, was on his show this week out in Los Angeles. And we've got Matt Barrows. I consider Matt to be one of the best beat writers in America. He covers the 49ers for The Athletic, and I caught up with Matt on Sunday after the 49ers practice. He's got some very good insights on all things Niners. So before we get started, let me take you with me on the training camp trail just a little bit. I'm recording this in the Marriott Hotel at LAX, the Los Angeles Airport Marriott. And uh, I've got a day off. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday morning in Los Angeles. It's not really a day off. We're traveling with my videographer, Caitlin Urka from NBC. We're traveling up to Oakland, and we have a 4.45 a.m. appointment with John Gruden on Wednesday. <laughs> so by the time this drops... Uh, I will be uh, probably in the pitch dark trying to find my way to John Gruden. So, uh, but I, I did want to just tell you something about something I saw on Monday on the training camp trip. First of all, I've told many of you over the years what a tremendous advantage and what a tremendous thing it is to be able to go to see 18 or 20 teams uh, in about a month-long period during the summer because you just see so much that you just can't see during the season. For instance, during the season, most teams do not allow writers, other than sometimes beat writers, to watch practice. So if I go cover a team during the season, most often I won't get to watch practice, so I won't get to actually see people play. But on Monday in Oxnard, California, where the Dallas Cowboys practice, I had the good fortune of just being able to watch two players that are fascinating to me. One is Tavon Austin, uh, who is the former Ram who, you know, really didn't achieve what the Rams hoped that he would achieve when he was the eighth player picked in the draft a few years ago. And so the Cowboys are finding a spot for him. He'll make their team. He'll be the maybe the fourth receiver, he'll do some returning, they'll play him in the backfield. He's going to be really interesting weapon for the Dallas Cowboys. But the other guy who I thought I wanted just to watch as much as I could was Jalen Smith. Now, most of you will remember that Jalen Smith uh, was the Cowboys' second-round pick in the 2016 draft, that's the draft where they got both Ezekiel Elliott in the first round and Dak Prescott in the fourth round. And 
everybody raised eyebrows when Jalen Smith, the linebacker from Notre Dame, was picked to where he was picked in the second round because he had such a serious leg injury uh, and a significant case of drop foot because of nerve damage from that injury in the Fiesta Bowl, his last game ever as a player on Notre Dame, that people wondered if he was ever going to be able to be a football player again. So he's worked diligently. He spent the last two years trying to get to this point. He took the brace uh, that he had been wearing off his leg to basically help his foot uh, not be such a disadvantage to him. And I watched him in practice on Monday for maybe 90 minutes. And the one thing you noticed about him is that he's got his speed back. Uh, He broke up three passes that I saw. Uh, He's basically playing strong side linebacker alongside Sean Lee, uh, the franchise middle linebacker for Dallas. And he basically, I would say, looks almost back to normal. He says he's back to normal. The Cowboys seem to think he is. And talking to their people, Jason Garrett and uh, and Jerry Jones and, and others in camp, uh, there's no question they feel like he's going to be ready to play opening day and play at a high level. But the one thing about this that you notice when you watch him play is the joy that he has. He made a play where he knocked down a pass intended for one of the Dallas tight ends with sort of a diving Uh, knockdown and he got up and he looked like a guy who just won the seventh game of the World Series with a walk-off home run he was so happy and it's at times like this when you look at sort of the human element in what you see at these training camps these are the things that if you don't go on the road if you don't spend time you know just watching these practices and seeing these players you just wouldn't see you would say hey he's making good progress but you really wouldn't know And that's a picture that, you know, in the three weeks I've been out, uh, if you were to say to me, what's the one vivid thing that you've seen that that really is going to stick with you? I would say the fact that Jalen Smith looks like a guy uh, who is going to be a top three or top five pick in 2016 was instead picked in the second round, and the Cowboys were wishing and hoping, well... I think their wishes are probably going to come true this year because I think Jalen Smith is going to be an above-average linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. So let's get to my conversations. We're going to start with Rich Eisen of NFL Network. I stopped by his show in El Segundo right near LAX uh, on Monday before going out to the Cowboys. We had a good chat on his television show. And uh, he was good enough to give me a few minutes to talk about the events of the day in the NFL. So here's me and Rich Eisen. Back on the Peter King Podcast. Very, very happy to be joined uh, this week by Rich Eisen, well-known host of the Rich Eisen Show. Thank you, sir. And also uh, the the voice and the face of NFL Network. Uh, I'm a great admirer of Rich's work, and uh, I'm here in Los Angeles. I'm here in El Segundo today to do the Rich Eisen Show before heading up to Dallas Cowboys training camp. Rich, tell me how life is. It's great. I mean, um, another NFL season's upon us. This is what it's all about. You're seeing all this. uh, It's a great time of year, too, because so many players are a little bit more one would think relaxed uh, because it's training camp. Although I did just read on Twitter that Brady overthrew somebody in practice, asked for the ball back, and 
angrily punted into the stands. <laughs> so he's he's in midseason uh, form right now. Uh, so that's great. And you doing the show today is great. I love having you here in person. And then a show like today is kind of uh, the perfect type of show that having you here talking football on the cusp of the season uh, as soon as you might actually cross paths here um, in the green room, because in the few times that he's been here before, he always likes to get his hair cut here before he comes on the air. Ice Cube will be here today wow. in hour two. So it's Peter King, Ice Cube, and then uh, on the phone, the manager of your 50 wins over 500 that's, that's Red Sox, ab- it's Alex absurd. Cora. Rich, Rich. Peter. It's, it's, it's totally absurd. <laughs> that's this today's is a, show. This is a dream season for the Sox. It's unbelievable. I, I was talking about it before that, you know, uh, the Yankees are thirty-one over five hundred and panicking. Yeah, it's uh, ridiculous. They're nine. They and just a half swept. Back. Didn't they just sweep Texas or something? They, they won were three, three out of four, four with right. Texas, and they lose ground. It's just absurd. How many times do the Red Sox play the Orioles? Though is it five hundred? Because it feels like my God, they're playing the Orioles again. Although the Yankees can't beat them, so that might be the difference. Is it's that ridiculous? Uh, but it's, any rate, that's yeah. today's show, and the fact that I get to do it um, here. Um, you know, in a, a studio that that was built specifically for it. You'll you've been here before. Yeah, you've I've seen been it. here. It's this, fun. Is a, this is a really cool it's spot. Fun. Thanks, Rich. Uh, let's talk for a moment about sort of current events around the league. I want to ask you if you think what you think the end game is, if anything, with the anthem issue. I have no idea. I don't either. What the end game is? I don't is. either. I have no idea what the end game is. Uh, I, I here's what I hope the end game is. That that it brings the players and the and management closer together because it, it's it's just necessary for everybody to to band together and realize that what what the anthem is at heart is trying well the anthem issue if you will and I'd rather come up with a different term for it right because, because it, they're not it, protesting that, that connotes, the anthem that's what it connotes <laughs> it's when ridiculous. you call it the anthem issue yeah okay is that what the players are calling attention to is in effect at its heart at the very core a call for unity and so at the hope what i hope is while it does bring attention to issues that need attention brought to them that it 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 leads to a more unified nfl players and management together certainly when i look over the the dashboard and see uh three years from now another collective bargaining uh agreement needing to be hammered out and you know, um, the uh, the uh, the lack of hair on the top of my head was caused many, uh, I think, accelerated by doing NFL total access in 2011 um, when there was a lockout. Last. I'll never forget covering that thing and seeing oh my gosh. seeing Albert Breer every day outside on the street just, corner. Yeah, man on the street. And, and I would walk in. in I'd run into him once or twice a month because I wasn't covering it daily. And I said, "Are you?" Are you here every day doing this stuff? He was. He said, yeah. And I was yeah. on NFL Total Access main set <laughs> interviewing him. Um, but, you know, and, and an interesting moment from that uh, was I interviewed Roger Goodell on a day that the um, Players Association told players don't show up for the draft, which, you know, yeah. they were even though they weren't technically in the union until they're drafted. And so the commissioner... Uh, came on our show and I pre-taped an interview with Roger Goodell that day on the set of NFL Total Access. And my first question to him was, if the economics of this league are 
detrimental to the league right now, then why not open the books? And his answer was, well, that's you know, a heck of a first question, then began to answer it. And a producer got on my ear saying, we have to start again because of some sort of technical issue. And that was one of those moments as a broadcast where you got to like take a deep breath. Everybody's working together. Nobody's doing this to sabotage anything. Just take a deep breath. And I started the interview again with him, but I asked him a different question because I didn't want him to answer a question that he knew was coming. Right. Um, and then asked that question again later on in the interview. And I got an email from, from Goodell later in the day saying, hey, you know, I thought about our interview. And when we started again, you didn't answer that, ask that question first again. And I want to make sure it wasn't because of my response saying, well, that's a heck of a first question. You can ask me anything, anytime. Yeah. To the point where he came on at the draft this year. Every single time I'm on the air with live, I don't get a, an email from anybody saying, what are you going to ask? The reason why I bring that up is to once again um, mention that I'm able to talk about this anthem issue however I see fit, whether it's on the show that you right. and I are about to do, on this podcast or whatever. So with that, I think that the league made a mistake by coming out without any union input right. in May. I read your you know, Football Morning in America today. I, I totally agree with you that there should have been some form of conversation with the union prior to anything that was put out there in May. And I'm glad that the league took a mulligan. And I do hope that there is some sort of conversation where we come up with something where the players feel heard. The NBA has a far more stringent rule in place than what the NFL has. And they abide by it. Players abide by it. And, but the players don't feel that they're being um, squelched in any way. That and the reason is because there was a collectively bargained deal there, and that's why last year when the NFL gave the players $90 million over seven years, and basically they did it to say, here, this is a good faith gesture to you. Mm -hmm. The NFL should have basically said to Malcolm Jenkins and included Eric Reed, should have said, we need help. We need people to stand for the national anthem. We're willing to collectively bargain this. And what would have happened, in my opinion, I didn't write this, but what would have happened is that Eric Reed and their side, they would have had it said, hey, here's our non-starter. If Colin Kaepernick does not have a job in the NFL, we're not agreeing to anything. And in my opinion, if Michael Sam can get drafted yeah. when the Rams have Ethan Westbrooks rated ahead of him on their draft board, mm -hmm. and then magically Michael Sam gets drafted late in the seventh round, and then Ethan Westbrooks is signed as a free agent, my thing is, if that can happen, then uh, the league can call in a favor to somebody around the league saying, even though it's incendiary, bring Colin Kaepernick to camp. Now, it, And this is all very important. There's no question about it. I'm just wondering if your listeners of this podcast and readers of your uh, column or viewers of and listeners of the show that we're about to do for me really want this conversation as opposed to who should they draft in their fantasy league it's a great that, it's a great I, question I, I don't know the answer to that i really yeah. don't i know when i bring it up on this show phone lines do light yeah um and that's not why i bring it up i bring it up if it does hit home i know when the president tweets about it i i i, I don't respond anymore when he called players sons of bitches i did say something on sunday morning on game day morning last september when he said that but at this point in time um, I, I would love to have It's a attention. little bit of a dog whistle. I don't know. I, I just don't know what 
folks really want in their coverage? Do they want to know about this, or do they want to know who's going to be the starting back now that Darius Geis is blown out his knee? Yeah. Is Baker Mayfield really going to not start the season because of what you, you again, are talking about? Tyrod's the man. Why? Is Sam Donald going to be good? Barkley going to be good? What's going to go on with the Rams? Do we look into what's going on in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson? I mean, there's so many there are on so the many field things. stories to But discuss. those things are being covered. They really are. I'll tell you this, Rich. This is very interesting. We should talk about this on your show today. Okay. So I feel like this is a pre-interview and yet an interview at the yeah, same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we should talk about this on your show today. Sure. I had an NFL coach call me yesterday mm-hmm. and basically you know, issue a plaintive cry. Can we please do something to get over this? You know, really. I mean, what can be done? It was just a conversation. I know about to get it. over it, though. Yeah. But uh, what, eight guys did something this weekend? Uh, out of two thousand, well, well, it, that depends if you include stayed in the locker room. I think four or five guys stayed okay. in the locker room, which is, by the way, they're right, and that's I, fine. And can we, Rich? I totally and how many agree. fans are standing there in the stadium going, "Wait a minute, let me scan the field." You know what I say to everybody anthem. when we're, I mean, what, what are we talking you about? You know what here? I say to everybody when this thing comes up because it's really, it's a never-ending cycle. It's a dog chasing his tail. I was at a Mets game late last year. And there was a fam. It appeared to be a family. It was a dad, and there were, I think, three kids there. I don't think the mom was there. And they were sitting below me. I was sitting up in the lower bowl, but I was sitting fairly high. And I looked down, and they did not stand for the National Anthem. And no one, and I didn't see any fans say, hey, get up, get up. I, I, I didn't know, see it. because it, it's, it's something that we, we do take for granted. Jerry Jones didn't take his hat off. Yeah. I mean, and, and so do I view him as he's not patriotic? Is he a hypocrite? No, it's just that he didn't take his hat off. Maybe right. he didn't notice. Maybe he didn't know. Maybe he didn't think about it. Right. Should he be thinking about that sort of stuff because of the stance that he is publicly taking? I mean, sure. But the bottom line is when it all comes down to it, are fans of his team more concerned about Dak Prescott year three? Zeke, without this thing hanging over him, who's going to catch the football? Yeah, who's, who's playing, playing tight defense? Can, if Sean Lee doesn't stay healthy for 16 games, are they in trouble again because they haven't right. addressed that side of the ball again? Des Bryant, is he right in the fact that he lined up in the same damn spot for 16 straight weeks? I mean, and, and again, this does not at all belittle this issue. It's a very important issue for many reasons. It's, it's, it's what... We live, this is when we're not watching television, we're losing our, ourselves in the escapism of the NFL. So I, I, I honestly don't know what the answer is to, I guess, come complete full circle right, right. as to how this ends. I want to ask you, I want to ask you one other thing sure. as somebody who is now a resident of Los Angeles. Yes. And I wonder the broad question, and I'll focus this in a little bit. What's it like having the NFL back in L.A.? It's it's interesting because it's still last year, last October, as the Rams were beginning to win football games with regularity, exciting. Um, uh, I, it was a Dodger going to the World Series town. LeBron is coming now. Every. Everyone's what going a town nuts. now! Everyone's going nuts. The Chargers about. finished nine and three last year. The Rams make up. the playoffs. I know, and, and and you got LeBron. You know, and Chip Kelly just showed up. Oh um, my god! I forgot so, about so that. So in yeah. many ways, having lived here since two thousand three, it's a Laker town, then it's a Dodger town, then it's a Trojan town, then it's a, a Bruin town, 
and the NFL's got to crack that lineup. They do have a team in the Rams that can do it. They really do. The facility, though, is definitely not something that people really... In, they don't want to go there. It's, it's, yeah. it's really tough, to be very honest with you. So when they build this new stadium, when people see 2020. what it is, when they see what it is, and if the Rams are as good then as they are now, this will be quite something to behold. It really, really will. And if you've got a shouldn't facility they be and a star, good because they got a they have a they, they have a young coach, they have a young quarterback. Whoever's got a really smart young coach and a capable young quarterback, you're going to be good for a well, while. Well, and then the MVP might be the running back anyway. And, and it also and might they, be the defensive it, tackle. I know. So they've got the ta- <laughs> and and I love Les Snead, and I think they've got. They've got it all working. They really, really do. But you've you've seen more football than most people can forget. I mean, how many stories do you see where it's all set up and then something just doesn't seem to click for whatever the hell reason there is? You know, I, I don't there's know. There's a bunch of really be. good teams. And then there's the Chargers, too, you know, yeah. who have a, a bona fide Hall of Fame candidate, a quarterback, and then a terrific defense and a great – but the, honestly, the, the <laughs> this is – as I said – Again, I guess to bring it full circle, I'm allowed to say whatever the hell I want um, because I'm I'm somebody who has a, a platform, and the NFL respects that, and hopefully all 32 teams do as well. The only Charger fan I've run into here in this town, for real, is the guy who's delivered my three children. That's it, the OB. His name is Bobby Katz. He's awesome. He's a sweetheart of a man. He's the only guy in 15 years who I've run into who's like, what's going on with the Chargers? Wow. So they have got a big time uh, foothold to cut out for them to try and chisel into here in this town. But they love winners, and if you win, they will they will they will be here. And if not, they will not be here unless you're the Lakers. To be very honest with you, this is a Lakers town. And last thing: Are they? Do you believe in 2020 there will be room? for two NFL teams oh, in that stadium. And and also, you know, I should also ask this I question. That campus is going to be pretty uh, awesome. That's huh? what I'm saying, that people will will go there, and, and it's also in the same spot as the revamped Forum, which is kind of like a, it's a, it's a stadium. It's um, it's like a, a, a theater. It's theater seating now. Right. So there's a revamped Forum. That sta- I can't wait. You know, that, that is NFL Network is going to move apparently there. apparently the future home. Of yeah. the NFL Network is that been is, established or we don't? I mean, know that's yet. been that's it's heavily been, rumored, it's been heavily but... discussed internally. Let's put it that way, um, and I believe that's going to happen. I you haven't got, heard you've got to be there. You've got to. Well, be the thing there. I'm it's excited about spot. that is that you know uh, when there's a Super Bowl played there, uh, and I hope that the you know everybody in in television has uh, who in in the NFL media world. Um, as a studio show where the backdrop is a picture of a stadium or a green screen that made it look like a stadium, this studio should have an actual stadium behind it. Like you look through and there's the stadium. So on big game days for either one of these teams uh, to do uh, a Sunday morning show from there or the Super Bowl show from there, how many people have to bring their set to the Super Bowl? Well, the NFL Network should should have once every four years because it should come here once every four years once that stadium's built just having something there's it the sky's the limit it's very exciting um so i guess that's the answer to you is having it back here i don't really feel it just yet um but it's coming rich eisen let's go do some tv let's do it. i love it thanks, thanks a lot thank you for being here 
Eating healthy can be difficult, especially when you're on the go all day long. Look at me. I've been running from training camp to training camp. But you know what happened to me last week? Something really, really good. I got home for a couple of days, and there, in my mailbox, I got some RX bars sent to me by the makers of RX Bar. Now, I've had these before, but I didn't really remember them. You know, I know they're very good for you. I knew all about the egg whites and the whole food protein that they have because the RX bar is a whole food protein bar. And I don't really know what that means, but I look at the literature and it says it means their bars are made from real whole ingredients. RX bar wants to build things the right way. RX bar believes in the power of transparency and lets the core ingredients do all the talking with all of them listed right on the front of the packaging. It's incredible. You've probably walked through airports or stores and seen these packages, and they have the ingredients listed right on the front in bold type. You'll recognize the RX bar. They're the ones that have egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. That's my favorite. I've had the maple sea salt and absolutely love it. RX bars are great for so many occasions. Breakfast on the go, a snack at the office, pushing you through your 3 p.m. slump. You can toss it in your backpack for a bike ride or a hike, or if you just want a tasty, healthy treat. Your hardest choice of the day? Picking which RX bar you want. The RX bars come in 14 delicious flavors. Mango pineapple, chocolate hazelnut, peanut butter and berries, chocolate sea salt, coconut chocolate, mixed berry, blueberry, my favorite, maple sea salt, apple cinnamon, mint chocolate, chocolate chip, peanut butter, peanut butter chocolate, and coffee chocolate. And they've got seasonal flavors too. No matter which one you choose, just remember egg white protein stands out as a source of protein that's easy for your body to absorb. It's so good, I want you to try it for yourself. I'll even give you 25% off. So, for 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash king and enter promo code king at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash king, and all you have to do is enter king at checkout. I can just tell you this right now. These bars will not let you down. You're going to love the RX bar. And now my conversation with Matt Barrows. Back on the Peter King Podcast. Very happy to be joined today in Santa Clara, California, in the offices of the San Francisco 49ers, uh, by Matt Barrows, who covers the 49ers for The Athletic, longtime uh, beat writer covering the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I have great admiration for Matt's work. We should discuss this too, Matt, at some point, but I do have to tell you, you know how I'm 61 years old and you know how old people like me always say, oh man, it was so much better when I was young. When I was doing it, it was so much better. I'm just telling you right now, I go around the country and I see the beat work that's being done and I think it's fantastic. The reason I think it's fantastic is because you... And so many of your peers who cover NFL teams now have such a difficult time compared to 
when we covered NFL teams because the access now is so much different and really, quite honestly, so much less. I mean, when I covered the Giants, I mean, I'm getting Bill Parcells. I'm getting George Young, the general manager, like pretty consistently whenever I really need them. And uh, it's just changed, even though I think the 49ers do a good job, you know, with Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch and all that. But in general, it's just it's a much more difficult job than I think it was a few years ago. Yeah, I think there are more people covering it and from different angles. A lot of people who aren't here all the time. Uh, that's what the Internet's allowed you to do. And you, you, you have more people there. And I think the natural reaction from teams is to restrict the access just because there's so many bodies, there's so many demands um, on, on these guys that they're trying to, quote-unquote, protect sometimes from uh, all, all the questions and uh, people who want to interview them. Yeah, it's, I mean, one of the things I do want to ask you about is where you think we're going in this business because a lot of papers, quite frankly, are going to die. But I do want to start by saying a lot of people who like the 49ers have read you and sought you out for years, even though you didn't work in San Francisco or San Jose, you worked in Sacramento. But I think you got a very wide following of true 49er fans because you're so incredibly plugged in. You know this team well. Uh, you live and breathe it in a lot of ways during the season. So I want to ask you about your decision to go from the Sacramento Bee to the Athletic because so many sports writers all over the United States are having that decision to make now. So explain to people why you would go from, you know, a very prominent newspaper, a good newspaper, to uh, a pay site that uh, if people don't pay for it, they're not going to be able to read Matt Barrows. Well, first of all, I, I love newspapers and I love the Sacramento Bee and I initially declined uh, the athletics offer. Uh, they, they came at me uh, a year ago at this time, and I decided, you know what, I'd rather stay with a newspaper. I, th I thought very hard about it, and, and you and I discussed it at the time, and, and uh, I decided to stay. Uh, they came back at me again in the spring, and it happened to be at a time when the B went through yet another contraction, more firings, more layoffs. Um, and uh, that affected the the sports department, um, and, it, and it has over the years. When I first started covering the 49ers in 2003, we had 18 writers, not, not 18 uh, uh, employees in sports. We had 18 sports writers. The, the latest contraction winnowed that down to three. Wow. And I was one of the three. And, and so, you know, I, uh, my metaphor is you're on an ice flow. And, uh, you know, for years and years, you know, there's, there's a lot of room on this ice flow. That ice flow shrank and shrank and shrank to the point where I said, I've got to get off this ice flow. Because, uh, you know, n nobody was coming for my job at that point. But you the handwriting's know. on the wall. I mean, uh, uh, I'm in Sacramento. Uh, it's not a, a local team. All these newspapers have sort of um, uh, you know, built their, their garrison around the, the, the local angle now. That's what they do. Weren't quite local to Sacramento. I, I could definitely see a scenario where my job wasn't as important anymore. 
Um, you know, but you know, I, I, I hope that the Sacramento Bee flourishes and that all of these newspapers that are in trouble flourish because I believe in it. Like you, I grew up reading newspapers and I worked in newspapers all my life. They're just not, they're just not able to make money now. And they can't, they can't figure it out. And when they do do something, they overcorrect and go too dramatically in one direction. And then, uh, then they change course again. And, and I've seen that, you know, countless times in the last decade alone. Yeah. Yeah, I worry about newspapers also. And I'm not sure that our audience is in the same boat as us. Uh, but I do know that a lot of people out there just are not really in tune with what is going on in this business. And I do think that eventually it's going to be felt in ways that people really don't expect. And, and, and my biggest example is I say that, look, when newspapers are laying off people, when they're laying off a lot of people, I'll tell you exactly where this is felt, original reporting. And so then you leave the reporting up to maybe aggregation sites that mainly don't report. They collect and they rewrite what other people write, giving those people credit for it. So there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that over the long run that the, the original reporting is really going to be hurt by this in the next eight or ten years. I think that's already happening. I mean, aggregation is such uh, a common thing now. And um, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, you know, look at uh, The Athletic. One of the, the first places that it started to flourish was in, in Canada because those papers up there are, are even worse off in some ways than yeah. the U.S. ones were. And they lost a lot of good writers. And, you know, it's it's – hockey oriented of course um but uh the the caliber of writer that we have at the athletic who were available because their their papers just couldn't hold them anymore um has you know canada is already self-sufficient for us i mean it, it already pays for itself because those great writers were, were laid off and so that original content that you're you're talking about um is going uh for a lot of reasons and you know uh, one of them is that they're just not able to hold on to a lot of these good writers that you know we we grew up uh, reading a lot a lot of times. Yeah, I'm with Matt Barrows of the Athletic. He covers the San Francisco 49ers. So let's talk some football. Um, you know, Matt, one of the really interesting stories I think in the NFL. One of the things that that I am fascinated by is how you know in the span of just a few months. Um, you know, 10, 12 months now, 10 months really, the, the San Francisco 49ers have become absolutely totally relevant again. And you know through the end of what was a very ugly uh, Jim Harbaugh reign uh, to Jim Tom Sula to Chip Kelly, to the failed Chip Kelly experiment, um, you know, and kind of going back to Mike Singletary, too, a little bit, even though, you know, obviously there was uh, some very good success under Harbaugh. You know, this has been sort of a dry gulch, you know, on the NFL landscape. And what, what has happened since October of last year 
is really kind of amazing when you think about it. And I want you to take me into, if you can, uh, what what you remember about that day last year where they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. What happened, how the news was greeted around here, and sort of what you thought when it originally happened. Well, it happened on a Monday after they got back from Philadelphia. A really bad loss in Philadelphia uh, because they lost a lot of players in that game. Um, Pierre Garçon was lost for the season. Joe Staley uh, got a broken eye socket in that game. It was just one lump after another in that game. And I remember uh, the press conference is supposed to start at noon. And uh, Kyle Shanahan, who's very prompt, 12.05, 12.10, 12.20. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? This is right around the trade deadline, too. I wonder if something's going on here. And lo and behold, it was the, the Jimmy Garoppolo trade. And I think the What react- time did it go down? Uh, around, around 12.30. I mean, that's when the news came out. But Shanahan wasn't there. So there was, he, was, he was on the phone with somebody during yeah. that point. I don't, I don't know if we uh, knew exactly, but I'm sure it was, you know, it, he was finalizing this trade. And so Jimmy Garoppolo arrived the next day, Halloween, and, um, you know, uh, the rest is history. You know, as as far as the reaction, I think people here were ready for, uh, and when I say people here, I'm I'm talking about Shanahan and Lynch, too, were ready for them to make a big play on Kirk Cousins in free agency in March. That was going to be the plan. I'll never forget. Can I just interrupt you? I'm sorry to do so. but. When I was here for the 49ers draft uh, in April 2017 uh, for the MMQB and for Sports Illustrated, I walked away after spending two and a half days with, uh, with Adam Peters, the personnel guy, with Parag Marate, the cap guy, and basically kind of the conscience of that room, John Lynch, the general manager, and Kyle Shanahan. I remember I walked away thinking to myself, this team is going to try everything to get Kirk Cousins. Uh, not really from what anybody said, but you just got the feeling that there was somebody that they had in mind who they really wanted. And so I'll be honest with you, that day, October 30th, when I heard about that trade, I was categorically utterly shocked because mentally I had given Kirk Cousins to the 49ers. Yeah, everybody saw no, – nobody saw Garoppolo coming, and, and that includes the 49ers. I mean, uh, you know, as the story goes, they had inquired about him just to sort of kick the tires, and they had been rebuffed with extreme prejudice. I mean, there, there was – How long before that did that I happen? think it was that offseason. I think okay. it was at the, uh, at the combine that, that perhaps Kyle yeah. Shanahan, you know, bumped into Bill Belichick and said, you know, you know you've got a quarterback – Who's entering his contract year? What do you think? No, we're not. We're, it's, it's off limits. We're not going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. But then, you know, we were at the trade deadline. This is the last opportunity that yeah, the that Patriots have had to get something to for get him. something for him, and and they ended up getting uh, what would be a uh, a pretty good second rounder, but probably could have gotten a lot more recompense from another team, uh, specifically the Cleveland Browns. So. When this happened and he came in here, did anybody have any idea the storm that was about to happen, you know, when he got in the lineup in December and won five in a row? 
No, absolutely not. I mean, um, you know, the question was how long would it take a guy who really hadn't been in an offense like this ever, um, was in a spread offense in, in college, and the Patriots offense is a lot different than, than Shanahan's. How long, I mean, how long does it take to, to get the offense? And so, um, you know, even at that point, you know, throughout November, um, you know, I don't think that Shanahan was convinced that he was the guy yet. Um, you know, there were a lot of positive signals that he might be the guy, but I don't think that Shanahan had closed his mind to Kirk Cousins until uh, December rolls around and Jimmy Garoppolo starts stringing one win after another against some good teams, against uh, a couple of teams that were uh, would go on to the playoffs and do well in the playoffs. And I'm talking about the, the Jacksonville Jaguars in, in particular. Uh, he, won, he won them all. And to me, the thing that, that really stood out was his instincts. When the play broke down, he had it. He knew where the the pressure was coming from. He had eyes in the back of his head, and he just had a way of of making something out of nothing. He he pulled rabbits out of hats time and time again, and that's that's innate. I mean, and I think Shanahan and, and Lynch realized that 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 denotes a special quarterback. You can you can teach him all the things in the world. You can't teach that. And that's why they ended up very quickly signing him to that long-term deal. In the offseason, the 49ers really cast their lot with um, with Garoppolo, obviously, with the, with the huge contract. Does it seem a little bit too much too soon, too fast? I mean, I, I'm not trying to be skeptical because I'm a kind of a Garoppolo believer. But does some of this seem a little bit fool's goldish, or or not? Well, it does. I mean, it's it's five games. He started seven games total in the NFL. Uh, he happened to win all seven seven of them. So, I mean, it is. Um, it, you can totally see a scenario down the line where we look back on this and say, "Oh, it was only seven games. What were they thinking?" But those seven games, I mean, based on everything they knew, um, every box was checked. Did he come in and, and learn the offense quickly? Yes. Did he come in and was he accepted by the locker room quickly? Yes. Did he take control of the locker room and the offense? Absolutely. Um, all of those things he did well. <laughs> There's really nothing to, to hold over him. He's a little bit loose with the football. Uh, in a gunslinger way, um, and and probably is going to end up throwing a lot more interceptions than, uh, you know, certainly Alex Smith, that type of quarterback is thrown. But I think people are willing to uh, take that with the good that it comes with it. Babe Ruth struck out a lot. He also threw a lot of, uh, I mean, uh, hit a lot of home runs. So you uh, you take the uh, the bad with uh, the good, and there's an absolute lot of good that came with Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's touch if we can on a few other things in our remaining time Matt let me I I just want to ask you there's four or five players on this team and things happening on this team I'd love to get a short paragraph of opinion on you Uh, and let's start with Richard Sherman Uh, Richard Sherman now is not practicing because of a hamstring tweak 
And I wonder, here's a guy who's had problems, obviously, with both Achilles and now with a hamstring. And you're starting to wonder, okay, is this the natural breaking down of a great athlete? But also, you know, I saw him here today uh, in Santa Clara where we're recording this and and talked to him. And I, I just said to him, you know, you're, you've got such a unique body. You've got, like, just a different body from other NFL corners, really. And, you know, because he's long and lean and his legs are so thin and there's not a lot of meat on his bones. And so, but but anyway, I just wonder, are we seeing sort of the start of the decline of Richard Sherman or do you have confidence that he's going to play at a high level? I don't have confidence. Um, he does. And, and I think that's, yeah. that's important. And he said something um, just a few weeks ago that, you know, this challenge for him coming back from those injuries and, and hearing all the doubters, um, you know, turning 30, coming back from major injuries, uh, he said that that was a challenge for him. And that sort of reignited a fire in him. And that's, that's who Richard Sherman is. I mean, he's a guy that's propelled by an inner fire. So if that fire is still cooking, I mean, I, I don't know how long his, his Achilles are going to last, but he definitely has the motivation. I mean, he, he tweaked his hamstring because he was trailing on a play, and he was trying, like the Dickens, to, to catch up with it and was pushing himself. And that's been his... His mo so far. He's this a very season. competitive guy, yeah. Extremely, and and but he wants to push himself to the point where he's got a confidence that okay, now I feel like I did before the injuries, and I think that's what he was close to reaching when uh, when he when he tweaked the hamstring, and that's what he's trying to reattain uh, this week, and, and probably more so next week. We, we probably won't see him in the in the preseason until that third game, which for this team is against the Colts. Um, in uh, I want to ask about offensive weaponry um, and start with the running back position. It really seems like the Niners may have left themselves a little light at running back uh, because as of now, you got Jarek McKinnon, and you're the one who told me today out at practice watching the Niners or watching them, them practice you know, that Jarek McKinnon has been split out a lot. They've been using a lot of empty backfield. And so Jarek McKinnon isn't sort of your classic, you know, 283, uh, you know, attempt rush guy. This is a guy who who is going to be sort of, uh, uh, you know, a wild card. You know, he's going to play all over the formation. So, and then behind that, they're very, very thin at running back. So, how do you view the running back position right now? Well, you said light at running back. Um, they are physically light. Uh, Jarek McKinnon's a 200-pound guy. He's never been asked to be a 16-game running back, and, and they want him to be that. He, he didn't make it through today's practice. He, he was hurt today. It turned out to be a, uh, a a strain in his knee, nothing serious. But this is a non-contact practice in August. I mean, how is he going to make it through until January being the, the workhorse running back? And behind him, you've got Matt Breida, who's a great running back uh, in his own right. I mean, very similar to McKinnon, but um, he's out with a shoulder injury now. This is a guy who's had shoulder injuries in the past. 
Behind him, you've got Raheem Mostert, who's a special teams guy to this point, and Joe Williams. So there's, there's really not a lot of um, experience uh, behind him, and, and not a lot of heft either. All of these guys are, uh, you know, uh, almost clones of one another in that they're a little bit under six feet and around 200 pounds, not the big bruiser that you expect to be the, the workhorse for your, uh, your, your running back position. Um, you know, we were out there today watching practice, and Marquise Goodwin flew by us looking like Usain Bolt, only a very slight Usain Bolt. And if, you, if you've watched Marquise Goodwin on TV, you think, boy, he's, he's a fast guy. If you watch Marquise Goodwin in person, he's insanely fast. He is, you know, Olympic sprinter fast. And I wonder, I, I, I think he really might be special. I, I'm not sure, but you watch him every day. Tell me what you think of Marquise Goodwin. Every day he's the best guy on the field. He's the most talented guy on the field. Uh, for the offense. And I agree with you. I, I think he's got a chance not just to be the 49ers top receiver, not just to be a thousand yard receiver, but to be one of the top receivers in the, in the league. You mentioned the speed. He also has the drive. He wants to do it. He's driven to be the best. Uh, he was just a pure speed guy when he uh, entered the NFL and, and he was sort of a number three type of receiver for Buffalo. He's really worked on his um, his route running so that he's a more, you know, well-rounded uh, receiver. And you uh, combine all of those things, the drive, the physical gifts, with, you know, having a quarterback, which he hasn't had until this point in his career. And, and that's why you think, you know, it's, it's not far-fetched to think that he could be the top five, top three type of, uh, type of receiver in this league. He hasn't come anywhere near doing that in the past, but... He seems to have it all working for him this season that it's, it's a, a distinct possibility. His drive, John Lynch, the general manager of the 49ers, told me a story here today. I thought it was really interesting. He said that uh, on their day off the other day, yesterday, whenever it was, on their day off, he was sitting in his office doing some work, and he looked outside, and there a solitary figure outside on the field working with a uh, – I think an equipment guy on the jugs machine catching footballs. And Lynch said he was out there for two and a half hours by himself. And um, so that to me speaks to almost Antonio Brown type of drive. That's the kind of stuff that he does. Now, who knows what can happen. But the fact is, Antonio Brown, sixth round pick out of central Michigan. So you don't have to be... Uh, you know, you don't have to be a top 10 pick from Clemson or Alabama or something. You, you know, you just have to have that drive if you really want to truly be great. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, uh, Antonio Brown's the guy that I'm reminded of with him. I don't think he's as quick as Brown. Um, he's got the deep downfield speed. Now, Antonio Brown also happens to have a, a quarterback who's a really great deep passer. I'm not sure if Garoppolo, if that's his his forte. He's gotten better at it as the season's gone on. So there's that marriage too that that has to work. Uh, but uh, I think there's enough to this guy that y you're going to be hearing from him even if you're not a 49ers fan this year. 
Matt, uh, we'll we'll close shop here by asking you two last things. One is, so you look at the 49ers. Um, they have been the darlings of the off-season media hype machine. They won the off-season, I think. They, I think they did, too, <laughs> in a rout. In a rout. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder, what do you think of this team? And A, do you think it's a playoff team? B, do you think it's a deep-into-January playoff team? I think that uh, when you have, you got a quarterback who could be as good as we think Jimmy Garoppolo is, that, that automatically makes you a, a playoff possibility. I think that the defense on this team needs more seasoning. It's still a very young defense. Um, I think as the year goes on, the defense is going to get better. That That's the question. How how much does that unit improve? I mean, they were they were the by far the worst in the league in 2016 in the most elemental thing in football, which is stopping the run. Um, you know, you, you had to go back to like the late 70s to find a team that was – as bad at that as they were, they got better last year, but they still finished something like 22nd in that category. I mean, that's not a playoff type of defense. You need to be better at that. So I think that that, you know, we talk about quarterback, we talk about receiver, running back. I think it's it's that defense. If it can make the strides that they think it can uh, with all those first-rounders, with Reuben Foster uh, at the second level, and, you know, the second half of the season sort of skews in their favor. A lot of home games towards the end. You start to, you know, things come together at the right time like they did last year. If that, if that team had gotten into the playoffs last year, they would have been, no, they would have been a tough They would have been out. scary for, for some of these teams. So I think if that scenario... I would have loved to... You know what game I would have loved to have seen? I would have loved to have seen the 49ers at the Eagles. I'm not saying they would have beaten the Eagles, but I'm saying that... Jimmy Garoppolo, that would have been sort of the ultimate test for him to go into Philadelphia with that ferocious defense and try to win a, a game with an undermanned team. They they were the only team that had won five games at the end of the season. They had the longest streak in, in the league, uh, and they will have the longest regular season streak to, yeah, to open. Entering this season. Entering yeah. this season. Yeah, that, that would have been interesting. Um they they were hot uh, and they and they were eager. They they wanted this the, the season to go into week eighteen and week nineteen. They were ready to keep playing. And th- th- you know, you know, very few six and ten teams <laughs> want to keep playing uh, like like they did at the end of the season. Matt, last thing. So you probably occasionally, if you're like me, get a question from a young journalist somewhere around the country. And uh, they're wondering about the future of journalism. Some of them wondering, should I get into this business? And I wonder, what's your answer when you when you hear from uh, a 17, 18, 19-year-old person who seems to have a love of journalism or a love of storytelling? What do you say to them about the future of this business? Well, I, you have to be honest with them and, and tell them that what I told you about 18 sports writers down to three within 15 years. I mean, uh, that that's the, the arc that, that's, that it's been following. I, I always talk about video and how you know, that seems to be a very important thing now to newspapers. And I think newspapers don't do a good job with it at all. All, all it is is you know, stum- somebody sticking a camera in a coach's face while they ask a question. I think that there can be storytelling 
a way to weave in writing and good video. I don't I don't think anybody really does that well at this point, but I know it can be done. Um, that's what I tell people is that if if you want to latch on with a a newspaper that you know very rarely makes hires anymore. Um, be diverse. Do be able to do a lot of different things. Telling stories uh, in writing is is what you and I do, and you know we we love it, and we hope that it never goes away. But uh, for a young person getting in, I think being able to do it in a multitude of ways is probably the best way to get your foot in the door. A few years ago, a young I was living in New Jersey, and a young writer. Uh, a girl named Emily Kaplan at Montclair High School asked me for some advice. And I said, when you go to college, she was going to Penn State, when you go to college, if I were you, I'd work one year at the school paper, I'd work one year at the radio station, one year at the TV station, and I would do your own either blog or website that last year. But I would do the gamut. I would do everything I could. And she didn't end up doing that, but she ended up being a versatile, versatile uh, person. And we hired her at Sports Illustrated. She's now at ESPN. But I think your thought about versatility and being able to be happy and, and good doing a video just the same as you would be uh, writing a, a sharp lead. Um, those, I think, are so important today because I believe that there always is going to be a place for storytelling. We shouldn't get so uh, hung up on what the form of storytelling is. Just tell your story in whatever way it is. Maybe it's a podcast. Who knows? But I think your advice on that is good, the versatility, because we just really have no idea where this business is headed. Right. Keep your options open, I guess, is the is the is uh, what we're trying to say. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Matt Barrows with The Athletic covers the San Francisco 49ers. Very, very highly respected in this business, particularly by me. Matt, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me on. I really, I really enjoyed it. Thanks to my guest, Rich Eisen of NFL Network and Matt Barrows of The Athletic. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my conversations with Adam Schefter, Roger Goodell, and John Elway. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor, RX Bars. Please support RX Bars the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you from the road next week.